All right, everyone, welcome back to the Crypto 101 podcast. I am very excited today because with us is not just another special guest, but a very special host in the crypto mm-hmm. conversations that have been going on. Perhaps the most notorious host of the year, in fact. Uh, but before we get to him, always joined by my good friend, Bryce Paul. Bryce, how you doing over there today? Hey, man, things are going well. Uh, obviously, markets are pretty choppy. So taking you know very, very minimal exposure at this time. Uh, but spending most of my time really doing a lot of fundamental analysis and research into some of these new projects. And I've been spending, admittedly, a lot of my time on Twitter spaces. Uh, mm. I've just found myself listening to Mario more than uh, more than I expected. In fact, I, I heard about Mario for the first time this year, kind of came onto the scene, my scene personally, with a splash as he was interviewing Sam Bankman-Fried, interviewed like Elon Musk. I mean, the guy's been talking to everybody who's anybody. And uh, I, I, I've been very fascinated by the story. Um, of Mario, so I said, "Hey, let's let's see if we could uh, talk to the mystery man uh, himself." So, sure enough, he seemed like a really nice guy. Responded to our emails, and here we are. So, uh, Mario, uh, who's the founder of IBC Group uh, and a crypto aficionado, uh, welcome to the welcome to Crypto One Hundred and One Podcast. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. Yeah, we're, we're excited to dive in. Yeah, um, you have been in the space for quite a while. By no means are you new around here, but your popularity has exploded recently with the, the uh, output of Twitter spaces. Uh, you've basically become the Jerry Springer of crypto, for better <laughs> or for worse. Like there's so much more to you besides that, but um, that's kind of what you're known for right there's, now. Martin there's Offal, so much more to me besides. The, I, there I, is. I the, like there's the so host. much more to me than Jerry Springer. <laughs> yes, very much so. Um, the show's kind of like Jerry Springer, your show being the crypto Roundtable, but you're also the founder and CEO of a very successful web three accelerator and incubator. You're a guy who knows his shit, but before all of this happened to you and your rise to stardom, who was Mario Knopfel before? Like what got you into crypto? What were you doing? And why did you join this space? What really got you into? Yes, I was. Yeah, yeah. I, I made my money well before crypto. I launched a business about a decade ago, uh, an e-commerce business that still exists today. It's a brand that I own called Fruity. Anyone could Google it. And it's doing extremely well. And that's how I got into business. I got into crypto in 2017 and I you know, launched IBC, did extremely well. Then I got scammed uh, late 2017, early 2018, lost millions. IBC was destroyed. It was a really bad scam. What, what was the scam? Like you hit first, a link? And it got hacked? Uh, and a, no, not that simple, man. It, it's a lot more painful than that. I had an executive at IBC, someone I trusted, um, lead the business. I was very, very private. If you Googled my name, there was nothing, unlike now. In 2017, I was intentionally secretive about everything. No Instagram, no Facebook, no LinkedIn, no Twitter, nothing. And then uh, he, even my employees, about I'd say half of the employees didn't even know I, I existed in the business. And then the executive that didn't own any other business, I was the sole shareholder. The executive um, leveraged that opportunity of me being very private to siphon out millions from the business, take away clients, mm-hmm. and do that consistently, colluding with a couple of others in, in, in the company, especially one who was also related to him that I didn't know. And that killed me. 2018 was just me licking my wounds. 2019, and, and I launched, I started personal, like building a brand online in 2018 as a response to the scam. 
2019, you know, recovery. 2020, I came back pretty strongly into, into crypto. And I co-founded NFT Tech, which is now a public company listed on in, in New York, sorry, in um, Canada and in Europe on the stock market. I became a partner at International Blockchain Legal, a law firm. And uh, obviously, IBC is where it is today, which is uh, you know, significant growth in 2021, 2022. Man, it's incredible. What a what a journey. Um, and, and I love the fact that you've been able to land, I mean, some really huge interviews uh, recently. And I'm kind of curious, like from, from the interview with, you know, Sam Bankman fried, if we just kind of start there, um, if you could distill that conversation down into maybe like a few, a few words, a few sentences, how would you kind of distill your takeaway from that very unique interview? So before Sam Bankman fried, the, the, the gentleman that was interviewing him, Chet, he's mm-hmm. ex intelligence. He worked in the air force in the U S he was, part of the, um, um, the uh, nuclear weapon program. So very high level. In, and in his career, he questioned, interrogated a lot of people for two years, been in court, everything. So what he did a day before that is we interrogated, or a, few, a week before that, we interrogated a bank that I think it was Moonstone Bank, which was affiliated with the I entire remember, I was stuff. in the airport and I was listening to this and I was like, this is insane. <laughs> Who is this guy? So that... <laughs> That interview, that interview ended up, uh, you know, opening up Pandora's box, and now all these Fortune and other uh, news outlets are covering the story and going deep. We had it covered by a few publications. So our goal was like, all right, we saw what Sam did in 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 New York on in the interview in New York Times, mm-hmm. and our goal is not to just give him another platform to entertain the audience in, the, in a nice chat. Our goal was to say, got ya. That was because he's very very smart, very intelligent. Mm-hmm. So we got it. We had a whole line of questioning that Chet organized. And our goal was like, all right, Chet goes through his line of questioning. And when you question someone, it's not entertaining. It goes through a very boring process. But the point is to get small bits and pieces and say, hey, you said this. Now you're saying that. Mm. And then you put them in a tough spot. So Chet had, had all that line of questioning organized. But then many other panelists were there wanted to speak. And, and obviously the audience wanted to see an entertaining interview. And obviously what was planned to be an interrogation and getting him, and we got him on two things, which the news, uh, the, the, a couple of news outlets covered, and then he became mm. better afterwards and <clears throat> started answering better. But we could have, you know, we had a, you know, we got through maybe 20% or Chet got through 20% of his line of questioning. Um, did, the audience didn't respond well. Other panelists wanted to ask questions. So I ended up, you know, veering away from the initial strategy and we started moving the mic to I different see. speakers. And then Chet got a bit upset by it. But that was the goal with Sam. It was... Um, it was a, 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 an interrogation to try to help, um, you know, help authorities uh, get him on something because he's um, really covering his ass. Yeah, and before and before we move on past the the Sam Bankman Freed stuff onto you know you and IBC and your passions and all that stuff, I, I'm just curious: had you ever crossed paths with Sam uh, like in person before? I I, I was at the Binance uh, sort of uh, like private conference in January of 2019 in Singapore, and that was the first time I saw him. He shared a stage with CZ back when Alameda Research was there, and he was like you know the it kid, right? And now. Ironically, CZ, the same guy who brought him up, was the same guy who tore him down. Um, but had, had you crossed paths? Because you said he's a very smart guy. So I'm curious if you'd ever 
done a deal with him or been part of like a syndicate that had interacted with him? Just your experience personally. We've IBC's co-invested in a lot of deals with Alameda. Um, we have a line of communication with Alameda. We know the team well. And uh, team members have met Sam before. I don't go to events. I'm a really you know, introverted person. I don't like meetings, etc. at all. So I never went to any of those events. If I go, I just speak and leave immediately. Um, so I never met Sam. I never met CZ, etc. But team members have. Are those co-investments like dead? Like, are you marking a lot of those to zero? Um, no, man, not at all. Not at all. Like people shouldn't. Was there fraud? Yes. Were they stupid? No. Projects that Alameda invested in, some of them are some of the best projects in the space. Mm-hmm. They've done a really good, their vetting team did a really good job. Like VCs following, and I've, I've been very critical about VCs being cheap, including us, and just following other VCs or other investors like Alameda just because they've built their reputation and not doing enough due diligence. Okay. But that was not the wrong decision because we ended up investing in really good projects because Alameda invested in. What we didn't know is what was happening behind the scenes, the co-mingling mm. of funds and Alameda doing a lot of wash trading, etc. cetera, uh, a lot of allegations. And we're doing a space. We'll probably do it by the time this comes out. I don't know when this is coming out, but just for you guys, we're doing a space tomorrow on the 8th where we're having people that have been investigating Sam and FTX for nine months. The shit they've been doing is insane, yeah. well beyond what is in the media right now. Um, and um, we didn't know this. It's very difficult to know. But the projects they invested in, no complaints. Interesting. You know, one of my big takeaways from this whole thing is the value of independent journalism. We've seen, you know, the New York Times and Forbes paint this sob story of, oh, poor Sam, he screwed up. Let's all forgive him and move on versus, you know, somebody like you and the people coming on your podcast, doing real research, digging in, saying this was one of the largest financial crimes in human history. And someone needs to be held responsible. What really happened here? So I applaud you and the people that you're working with for picking up the reins that were, you know, really collecting a lot of dust recently uh, with, you know, before this, we had like vice and people are, depending on who you ask, they say vice is compromised. I don't know. Uh, I don't really read a lot of media one way or the other, but I, I see the value now more than ever in having independent journalists come through and doing their own research and getting together in a forum like Twitter Spaces or a podcast or combining into some kind of article and saying, here's the evidence, take this to the regulators, and now they have to do their job and enforce the rules that were broken. So my question to you is, where does this take your life in its journey? Like, Are you going to continue focusing on you know VC-style investments, or are you going to embrace this amazing thing that's fallen into your lap as one of the hottest journalists on the planet right now? So the, the term citizen journalism kind of gained traction after Elon called us that after he jumped into our space uh, to talk about the FTX saga. And I, I didn't plan for this at all. Like I was doing a weekly show. It was already a really big show focused on crypto twice a week uh, before FTX and before all the politicians and, and you know, CZ, uh, Sam and Kraken and all these guys coming on the show. The, the concept of, look, I don't have anything against mainstream media. Not all media is equal. Some mainstream media is more biased than others. Their systems is, you know, the system there, the, the incentives are not aligned. When you have media covering a story about one of their biggest advertisers, 
they're in a really tough spot. At the same time, I've seen it firsthand in which the media would report things that we knew were not true. And then we would give them the information. We'd say, hey, we did a 15-hour space because back then it was a big marathon, not like now. And then in that space, go to minute 32 and listen to it for six minutes. You'll see that X, Y, Z that you said were untrue. And this is the fact that you can go through them there. We can send you any documentation to support them or connect you with the people that leaked the information. So we started doing the work for the media and, you know, we weren't making money off it. Um, so that's where the, the concept of citizen journalism is, is really interesting. And, and it you know, goes back to free speech, et cetera, which is something we're covering now. You know, we had the advisor of Trump yesterday on the show. We had Elon Musk two days ago again, on the, you know, three days ago on the show as well. And a lot of the top, the main topic we were discussing is free, uh, is free speech. So in terms of your other question about what we're to from now, as I said, I didn't plan for this. But at the same time, you know, we're reaching millions a week. We're having, you know, today we got confirmed uh, Andrew Tate, which is a pretty well-known name now, to come on the show. And we have a few other big names that we're waiting to confirm them that will be coming on the show in the next few weeks and months. It's a really interesting opportunity and that's evolved beyond crypto. Like yesterday's show and, and four days ago was nothing to do with crypto. And it was just people from both sides of the political spectrum debating the topic of free speech and the recent leaks by Twitter. And about a week ago, we covered the, the missile that landed in Poland, which at the time was a, was, a, was a pretty scary thing. So luckily, I do have a team that runs IBC. IBC is still my passion, what I like to do best. You know, I like to run businesses. I like to, to you know, have my peace and not have to wake up at four in the morning because some urgent thing happened and we need to start a space urgently to cover it because we're, we're becoming more of a breaking news space. When something major happens, people know to come to our space to, to expect, um, you know, a balanced panel with people that know what the hell they're talking about, covering the space live and, and sharing breaking news live on the space. So we've built that reputation. That's taking up my energy and time. I will not, uh, you know, I, I will not let this go to waste. You know, I'll continue going down that path. I've got a team backing me that's doing most of the work so they get more credit than I. But yeah, my main focus is still IBC. Now, in terms of how do I do both? Um, again, I do have a pretty big team. So that allows me to do both. And they work hand in hand because we still cover crypto. We still do a space every Thursday covering crypto. Um, and we're still a crypto show. It's called The Roundtable, not, no longer called The Crypto Roundtable because we've expanded so much. But we still got, you know, a lot of our speakers are crypto native and, and we, we, that's where we come from. And, and that benefits IBC as well because now we can, you know, we can pick up the phone and call literally anybody in the crypto space. And we have a lot more clout. So when we, when we talk to an exchange, they respond instantly. It was pretty good before, but now on a whole new level because they want to make sure they are on good terms with us when we have so much influence in the space. So that, that access and influence does help IBC as well. Tell yeah. us about if you had uh, one favorite conversation, like, you know, maybe aside from the SBF thing, has there been one, and it could even be like completely irrelevant to crypto, but was there one conversation that you had on your spaces recently that like, was like, Hey, everybody's watching this podcast right now. That's probably the one that you guys should watch. Cause it, it's the coolest. <laughs> okay. Then I'll give you three of them. Number one Thank is you. one that gained a lot of mainstream attention. It's the, the, the Elon Musk, when he goes on our show and says, I'm going to paraphrase, the quote is, you can find it everywhere. It's like, if I, if I, um, uh, if you find, if you, if I committed suicide, I, I, no, I'm not planning to commit suicide. Or if you see me dead, it's not suicide or I'll never kill myself. 
something along those lines. You probably saw it in the news. Yeah. So he came on our space and said this, and he started talking about concerns on the safety. So that was a, a scary one um, to an extent, of course. Like he's, yeah, highly memorable. And, and was funny. Yeah, it's a memorable one. Another one would be when we first started the space and it blew up during the FTX saga. We had someone from a top exchange. You can find the segment, but I won't lead you to it for anyone listening. And um, just for, you know, because we, we said to her that we're not going to promote it too much. Mm -hmm. But we had an executive from one of the exchanges come on and share. From the beginning, when, when FTX didn't even halt withdrawals yet, very, very early, she's like, Mario, Alameda is, is uh, insolvent. FTX and Alameda are, you know, very close together. They were involved in the Luna collapse. They were involved in the Celsius collapse. And CZ knew about it and was talking to SBF behind the scenes. SBF ignored him and CZ was forced to write the tweet. And Alameda's balance sheet is really concerning. So she started saying all these things that we know for most of it, we know for fact right now. And everything unraveled afterwards. But what was fascinating is after she shared this whole thing and I felt for her, you see her voice change while speaking, while asking her more questions because she started getting pressured from all different sources because that's where Sam was still trying to save his ship. And if you listen to the recording, her voice started breaking and then she started sending us the answer. She started backpedaling a bit and we knew she was facing pressure. And then when she jumped off and we moved on because she was facing too much pressure, she started DMing us like, guys, because we tweeted what she said and then went viral when a couple million people see it. She said, guys, I need you to delete the tweet, etc., which we did. Um, so that was very memorable because he's someone that's, you know, opening up that, that kind of shit and, and showing us everything. Yeah. Unraveling it all and starting to face pressure live on stage while everyone was listening. Um, another one would be where we were live on stage and because and, we did a marathon back then, like 10, 15 hour space. Jeez. I was awake for like 42 hours. Cool. And during the space, we were all watching the money um, get siphoned out of FTX by the scammers, by the hackers. So we were watching it live, watching the chain live and all the money come out and watching the withdrawals being allowed in the Bahamas. Um, and everyone in the audience, which a lot of them had money at FTX, seeing their money leave FTX and seeing everything implode live on stage. And we had the withdrawals, how all of it was happening live on stage which made it very, um, very emotional for many. And we had to, you know, talk to, you know, you know, kind of support a lot of the people that were, you know, some people were suicidal. We had to talk to them. My yeah, team I mean, was facing a lot of uh, drama. Yeah, they're, they're, it was mind blowing just the scale of, of how many people lost money in this whole FTX thing. Not just like the amount of people, but the amount of money that so many actors trusted with them. You know, MultiCoin was like a $9 billion fund. Uh, they lost like what half on FTX and there was, uh, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. And, um, you know, be, you know, not being able to get your money off of an exchange from people that you trusted so much. I mean, nothing's scarier. Um, do you, you know, remember also, do you remember the segment where I, so we had someone say, um, um, th that lady, that same lady said something where FTX or Sam was responsible for three hours collapse or attack three hours, something along those lines, three hours capital. And then we included it in the thread, obviously quoting that this is an insider, nothing's verified. And then we had, so Zusu, the founder, was in the audience for hours, and he retweeted that part, kind of confirming that, yes. Right, Sam he goes, yeah, our positions were, our FTX positions that we had in, in regards to the Luna kind of collapse, those were hunted. So Alameda was trying to take the other side of three arrows, 
Um, and I, I remember learning that from your, your Twitter space. I was like, man, like, but then my yeah. question was like, wait, these guys had all the information. They were trading against their customers. They had the goose that was laying the golden egg and, and they still managed to lose it. Uh, just crazy. And I have a theory about that. And I want to, I want to ask Mario what he thinks about it. So in order for someone with all that data and positions that can't be liquidated in order for them to lose someone on the other side of that trade has to have that same data or better. And the only people that could have done that would be Sam Bakeman freed and Sam Tribuco. So my theory is they found a way to quote unquote legally drain billions of dollars from the casino by essentially being better casino players. I don't know. I think happened. they so personally sound- were on the other side of the trade because I can't fathom in my mind how else they could have lost that because jump didn't take their money. Three arrows obviously didn't. Justin Sun probably didn't. Mm. Who else in the space could have got them except themselves? And why is SBF not coming up with better reasons or excuses and hiring the most notorious lawyer in the freaking world right now? He hired if he didn't have something massive to hide. Yeah. So that sounds very conspiracy theory, but I'll just tell you this. There's a guy that's been analyzing this and sharing with us a lot of the information for weeks and weeks. He's been on stage a couple of times. So he's going to come back tomorrow in brief. And we have a call tomorrow to go through all the evidence again. And he's been giving a lot of evidence and some of it is public and you know, but I can't disclose which one. He's been, him and his company have been sharing it. They've been investigating FTX for months, for nine months or so. Yes. After they got screwed in at Liquid um, and by Alameda, by Alameda and Liquid. And there is a lot more money that was siphoned out that, you know, it's hard to track. And there's a lot more indicators to show that this was nefarious months and months and months ago. And... We don't know. So the gentleman that left, the co-founder, I think Sam Tribuco. It is the co-founder, yeah? Yes. Sam Tribuco or the other Of Alameda. Okay. Yeah. Sam Tribuco, he's the one that left like February or something, correct? Yeah, he bought a boat. He left. Yeah, Yeah. that's him, yeah. So they couldn't pinpoint Sam. He just left literally a couple of weeks after they started the investigation. They can't pinpoint how involved he was. Um, So that's still in progress, and they're very careful on what they say. But – the, the circle, that closed circle around Sam, based on what they're saying, is, according to them, not innocent. So w- tomorrow he'll be going through a, a, a whole explanation and showing all the evidence that he has, etc. But based on my discussions, it's kind of the, 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 the overview of, of this. But now, of course, that could be, it could be false, could be over leveraged. They could have just but fucked it's a it up because they're stupid. We don't know. But there's too many breadcrumbs and they've seen, they've been following those breadcrumbs for a really, really long time. And now finally people are listening to them. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. I talked with a lady uh, in Miami who actually spent six months working out of the FTX office in Bahamas. And she got to see how everything worked on a normal scale. Of course, she wasn't going through the books and didn't have insider access or anything. But her report of this is Sam is an extremely thoughtful human being who cares a lot. He has everything planned down from massage chairs to like a psychologist on staff, every possible thing you could think of like a chef to make sure that his employees are at peak performance, well taken care of, that the company is running efficiently. There's no chance that so many little crumbs fell through the cracks on his watch because he's such an intelligent and detail oriented person. 
So when he's saying, I don't know, or oops, or, you know, I just overlooked these things like that is absolutely impossible when he never left the house. Yeah, he's just covering his ass. Yeah. Um, so the, the interviews he's been doing just, this, this reek of, you know, strategically, you know, he took time. He's been trained how to answer a lot of those questions, how to deflect um, and, and how he was shifting blame to an accounting error and positioning Alameda as because he said that the money in the early days, an accounting error, money was sent to Alameda, but was never credited to FTX. And, he's, right. and that means legally Alameda is the client of FTX. And is he, is he trying to avoid um, any legal problems by just saying, hey, Alameda was the client, not the people sending the money based on the, on the terms of service. So that's hard. It, it, it just, it just, it just pointing towards a very, very, very calculated legal, calculated plan to avoid, at least avoid criminal uh, prosecution. And him having a hundred thousand dollars is, is, is bullshit. Um, yeah. Like it is just highly, 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 highly unlikely. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I, I kind of want to take this in a couple, I mean, many different directions, but I think since time is limited, I'd like to ask you your opinion on Tether. Um, this is something that, you know, we've had Paolo on the show maybe twice. Um, I've always had a positive sort of bent on Tether um, just in terms of like, hey, this thing's really liquid. Uh, you know, CMS, you know, did a big podcast about how he's redeemed billions of Tether and, you know, it, it's got sketchy origins and it's got, you know, the, the CEO and all that kind of stuff doesn't do interviews. And so it's a shrouded sort of uh, company, um, but it's a very liquid product. A lot of people use it. The market has trusted it. What do you think? We don't have enough evidence to, to have serious concerns with Tether. Like we've looked into it and Tether is always the target. Whenever there's FUD, right. Tether is going to come up and every Deltec single Bank. time for, for Deltek now, and Tether has been well before Deltek uh, okay. got into the picture. So, um, yeah, so so I just don't see, I know there's an investigation out to, to, to the relation between Deltek and Tether, and we're going down that path. We're looking at all the evidence. We haven't tweeted anything. We haven't, haven't shared anything in this space because we just, it's very important, and, and I'm really careful about it, and I kind of learned that lesson the hard way, is that anything we say could have serious repercussions, especially totally. since the Sam story, because a lot of the things we said turned out to be true days or hours later, like the whole Genesis thing. Uh, we had an insider on stage, I don't know if you were there, talk about how um, um, DCG, um, yep, DCG. I, I got my, yeah, DCG, DCG owed money, Genesis, yeah, owed money to, to Genesis. And, um, you know, immediately people were calling it FUD as soon as we tweeted what the insider said and we said that's not verified and hours later Bloomberg comes out confirming exactly that and Barry sends out a letter to investors Again, confirming the same thing. Um, so it's it's important to make sure that anything we share is, is confirmed. So we could be sharing some information on the whole Delta Tether um, story, but to ring any alarms like we did on Crypto.com a while ago um, when they did the whole gate transfer, um, like we did on, on Genesis and DCG, um, it's too early for that, the same way we didn't we didn't um, we didn't ring any alarms on Grayscale because we didn't have any concerns with Coinbase custody. That changed when CZ made a tweet uh, questioning um, Coinbase custody and whether they're holding yeah all that Bitcoin. That was concerning when I saw that tweet and he corrected it, but that was just that was really weird. Uh, but the, so that changed for for a few minutes then. But um, there's not enough evidence to be concerned on Tether. 
um, and to, you know, I've considered shorting Tether, but I did not um, just because they, they've, they're really liquid and they've improved their balance sheet as well. Now, there are questions to be asked. There are a lot of unanswered questions, um, but not enough yet to say, hey, red flag. That's great to know. Um, and I'm sure if there is any red flags, the crypto or excuse me, the roundtable is where we'll hear of them. But let's move on to, you know, the, the real meat of what you're doing, and that's IBC Group. You guys have invested in all kinds of stuff over there. What is your investment thesis and what are some of the things that you look for that's going to make a huge impact in the future? Yeah, so we're deep into gaming now. Our, our thesis is really simple. We look first thing, we try to mitigate our risk heavily. So we try to always get investments and that goes back to the problem, the whole sheep mentality. It's not a bad mentality, just backfired with FTX, but we like to invest after we see other big names that we trust invest. And then we do our due diligence. Uh, we don't like to come in too early. Uh, just because the risk is too high, I don't like risk. So we come in a bit late um, uh, on, on, you know, not, not in the seed round, but, you know, almost, you know, sometimes even before launch, sometimes pre-launch, we come in that late. And the reason we're able to come in late is because we bring so much value. Now with the show, we bring even more value that uh, projects tend to do an exception for us to bring us into their cap table. But we're heavily focused on gaming right now. Um, I think this is the, the, the onboarding into the open metaverse will begin with gaming. We saw that with Axie and we're seeing that with a bunch of other games that are getting adoption. And that's where we deploy most of our money, to be honest. We're also acquiring a lot of assets. So we acquired media assets. We've acquired, um, I, I can't disclose it, but we've acquired, let's just say projects and other assets that are very, very undervalued. So instead of just investing right now, considering how, how undervalued the markets are, we've been acquiring for the last minimum six months um, mm -hmm. and building out our portfolio more and more. Nice. And so, yeah, D, uh, when I think of a lot of, you know, crypto guys, they're mostly, you know, DeFi, right? And, and so, you know, they're doing the recursive lending on, you know, Aave and Compound or they're um, really, really big in, you know, governance and stuff. And, and gaming is a, a newer angle, I think. But it's quickly gaining traction. And I think we could see even a lot of what Sam Bankman Fried was investing in and stuff, you know, esports. He bought like an esports team and all that kind of stuff. Cause that really is the future. I think about like my little cousins. What do they spend all their time doing? They don't play sports anymore. They, they play video games. Um, and so it is a huge, huge frontier. Um, and, and I just think about the value capture, right? And so, so are you guys mostly buying up equity in these gaming companies or brands or is Great it question. a token Great question. Great question. Um, we, tend, we prefer tokens. But in recent months, we don't say no to equity. Okay. Especially when we, when we offer our services or acceleration or incubation for a project, we, we're more open for equity. NFTs are a bit more tricky because, you know, it, game mechanics and, and the in-game economy is extremely complex. Any, yeah. any developer would tell you this. So allowing a game to integrate one or two tokens as Axie did and then integrate NFTs and then have equity, there's just so many, it's just too early for that and there's just so many areas where value can congregate that it's hard to determine where that is. Now, equity is a safer bet and we saw a lot of VCs uh, coming on the equity side and get tokens as well. Um, so we're open to that. Equity with the promise of getting tokens. But most of our investments have been tokens and a small number have been, um, have been NFTs. 
Um, yeah, like the, 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 the mechanics of the token need to make sense. And that's really hard to determine, especially when, when you start thinking about interoperability, then, it, then you're realizing how much more complex it will become over the next few few years. Yeah. And with that in mind, are you seeing any existing layer one blockchains being the far and away winner with all these games Polygon. being built on top of them? Or is it spread out or are there brand new L1s is, just for gaming? Polygon, there's a lot that are doing well, but Polygon and Solana are dominating. Um, mm. And Polygon has really impressed us in the last few months. I think Polygon, like, you know, it, it seems like I see them in the news every other day. It's like, you know, they partnered with Facebook and Instagram. They're like all over the place. Um, so I'm actually a big fan of Polygon uh, and Matic, that whole ecosystem as well. Um, they've, they've been, but Solana is one that I'm like, everybody talked about it. Sam Bankman Freed hyped it up, all that stuff. It's been riddled with problems. Um, and now the future to me is so unclear for this project, but. I'm on that side of the camp, but I've talked to a lot of guys like you, Mario, who are saying, hey, that was one bad guy. You can't let him bloody up the entire image of Solana. Yeah, and you can say, like, you know, you should have been concerned about Solana before FTX collapsed than, than, than after because it was more centralized. So having mm. one entity with so many tokens is a problem. Having an entity dump all these tokens and hurt the price is a good thing because now it's more decentralized. So... I just don't see those events, you know, the concerns with Solana have existed well before the uh, FTX saga. Now, um, you know, I wrote a whole thread on this. I just don't see long-term, if the tech is good, issues like this, like, you know, a big dump of tokens by one big investor. They come and go. <laughs> so what? Like games don't really care and the, the, the blockchain still operates. Now, if it starts to impact the, the, the blockchain itself, and then it's a whole different discussion. I got a, a question back to gaming. Um, what's like maybe your favorite game currently? It doesn't even, I mean, I would maybe two games. One that's like strictly crypto related. Maybe it's new. You're really impressed by this team uh, that our user or that our audience could go. They could maybe download and check out at their home. But then also like, are you a, a Halo guy? Are you a COD guy? Are you a chess guy? What kind of games do you like? I don't play games, bro. <laughs> I don't play games, but we have we have a lot of gamers in the team. Uh, but I just don't have the time at all. I used to play FIFA, and that's it. Many years ago, love hey, loved FIFA, but I don't dare touch it again because I know that uh, I will not have time to do these damn shows. <laughs> You're like it's business. a drug. You're like, I, don't, I don't want to touch the sticks again. Oh man, I used to be obsessed with FIFA, and I used to play Counter Strike early days. I'm talking about seven, eight years ago, and, and I used to play Age of Empires when I was a kid as Let's well. Let's go. On that, and that, uh, on that, uh, you know, when the connection is like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that, those days, I explained your advice. Uh, in terms of games I recommend, there's a list of them. I, I don't remember all of them, so I won't name them. I'll just, um, yeah, I won't name them because I don't remember. Like Star Atlas is one we invested in recently. I know they got hit, the budget got hit recently. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Cedar's Heroes, Alluvium, Axie Infinity, the, the list goes on. There's a lot of them there. Uh, but it's really hard to mention. Like, I'm always worried about mentioning any now because it's so early and games have such a high likelihood of failing. Mm -hmm. If one succeed, I think the size of in-game economies is going to shock most people, especially with an open game. Because now it's an entire, it's almost like a country that can be built out. Like Cedar's Heroes I was talking about because I was talking to the owner today. And they're building a whole political system there. And you can literally uh, become the president and become a, a member of parliament. So they're building a, wow. it's no longer a game. 
it's and, and other games that you know are going down that path gradually. But they're no, not going to just be games. They're going to be a, a social ecosystem. They're going to be an ecosystem to build businesses for entrepreneurs. They're going to be a political system. It's going to be a replica of the physical world, starting with gaming that relate to existing games that we play in the Web 2 world. Yeah. So you'll see Web 3 games be similar to Web 2 games, allows for adoption, and then they'll slowly evolve, similar to Second Life to an extent. It evolved from just a game to more of a, of a social ecosystem and a world that you live in. It, it, awesome. It's so true. Um, and, and even like, you know, one of the games I've played uh, is Fortnite, right? And I think it's a cool little concept. They're pretty cutting edge. And then one day I, I read an article that, you know, Travis Scott did an, uh, a concert in Fortnite. Concert, so yeah. you, you grab onto your Xbox or whatever, and then you go and you're, in, you're not playing the game. You're in a completely different experience, but you're in the game. And so that, that is, you know, kind of a, a tip of the iceberg in terms of like what you're explaining, it's like, you know, it's it, games are going to expand way beyond just the game, but it's an experience. It's a, it's a system. To know, to, to know is something, it's, 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 it's a digital representation of the physical world we live in today without predetermined physics. That's how I would describe it. 100%. And to see where something is heading, just look at where people are, lead, like, are naturally going. It's not where we think the space should head or where these leaders think it should go. And um, the thought leaders, it's where people are just naturally which direction are they veering where are they leaning and in this case with second life what happened is people are going to play the game and then they they finish playing the game they just hang out you know they start hanging out just to chat to others and then the 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 guys at second life like holy shit like people just hanging out they're not even playing the game and they naturally followed their users and built and became a a more of a social ecosystem and we're gonna see that with existing games as well people came in to make obviously to play the game and to make money because it's you know play to earn and the concept of making money is there with Axie Infinity. Um, but then I think we expect it to have a social element now after what happened with Second Life. And then when you start seeing people build businesses there, like if if if, if I see a game blow up and then I can go there and open mines and have spaceships go there and, and mine metals, precious metals, and build spaceships and sell them, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to freaking do it. That sounds cool as hell. So when they see entrepreneurs coming into the game and starting to build businesses, and then the game would naturally build that infrastructure for more entrepreneurs to build more businesses. And then you just, over the next decade, you've just got a version of the United States without physics. So you can make up whatever um, and has 500 million users, a billion users, 2 billion users. And now that economy is bigger than most economies, all economies in the physical world. Um, I, I don't know who it was, Activision, the founder of Activision, or I can't remember. And he said that, or, or maybe some Citibank did a report, whoever it was, the report said that um, if we end up building the metaverse on just one protocol that builds them all, like one big metaverse, that protocol will have a bigger market cap than the global economy. Wow. Those are insane numbers. And it's not a shift into gaming. It's a shift that's been happening for the last couple of decades and the shift of humanity moving from a physical world to a virtual world. When you guys spent hours in my space, I asked yesterday in my space, I asked people to take a photo and um, uh, I can't remember what to do, a hashtag something, hashtag where, where the hell are you, where are you, where are you really, I think it was hashtag where are you really and, and we started checking the hashtags, like hundreds of big people taking pictures and posting them and you could see like people, it could be anywhere in the physical world, it didn't really matter because they tuned in that virtual world, like I have so many AirPods with me, I have three, two on the channel. Always with me, wherever I go, I've got three AirPods, two for one phone, one for the other. 
always. And one of these, in case I have to do an urgent space everywhere I go. Um, the reason is I'm always in that virtual world. So that shift has been happening for a long time. Mm. Now we're going to see the next stage of that shift through gaming because it opens up more than just interactions, like two-way interactions like this, into just a replica of the physical world from, I think from marrying someone, falling in love, divorcing, etc. Like uh, I, when people ask me about the metaverse and I spoke on a panel on this at Decentral, uh, I said, it's not like the evolution of like gaming or hangouts. Like this is a technological upgrade to websites. You know, you're going to see every website that's full of blocks of text eventually replaced with a virtual experience in a metaverse with real customer service agents you can interact with, or your, your avatar can stand in a line to get support. So you're not on hold listening to shitty music. You know, you're actually listening to your favorite YouTube channel while you're waiting for help or, and that's just one tiny example of how this is going to move everything forward. Everything that doesn't require the maintenance of your human body will be replicated and or replaced in a virtual world. Think about it. Everything. That's a soundbite. Kissing a, yeah, from kissing a girl. I'm, I'm really starting with extreme things because there's haptics and stuff. The technology is insane. You had Michael Bay on the show and talking to us about a company invested in. The technology is moving so damn, um, uh, uh, so damn fast. It's crazy. You know, you look at Chat GPT. What is it? Chat GPT. Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah, GPT. GPT. Yeah. So GPT, for example, it, it just shows how fast AI is moving as well. So you start interacting with AI replicas of our consciousness. That's really far off. But I'm telling you that. Everything, everything, everything you do right now here in the physical world, if it's not eating, going to the bathroom, uh, going to the doctor, at least for now, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be replicated in the virtual world. And in many ways it did. Uh, meetings are virtual. Um, you know, Instagram is the new makeup. Um, social interactions, falling in love, long-distance relationships, marriages through COVID people with marrying online. Crazy. socializing, entertainment, the list goes on and on and on. So that's already there. The metaverse is already there. Now it's just going to be more decentralized. So we're not, um, you know, so a small number of companies don't control various aspects of our life, or at least don't have the opportunity to control various aspects of our life, which is what we've been discussing. Uh, we're discussing recently in the last few days with the, with the leak of the Twitter files. Yeah. And I imagine like a lot of, you know, what IBC does, it's like, you know, you're, you're the man with the vision and, you know, IBC is the vehicle to really invest in that and enable and kind of bring that vision into the present. And, you know, I, I think, you know, you, you accelerate it, right? It's in the name. You're accelerating your view of the future. And I think that's awesome. But I think for a lot of people at home, they're like, well, what is an accelerator? What does that do? Are you guys getting in and, and helping them build the code? Are you guys helping them with uh, building communities? What's kind of that look like? Number one is token structure and tokenomics. If you get that wrong, everything else doesn't matter. Mm. Imagine you build an incredible car and the engine doesn't work. So number one is figuring out token structure and tokenomics. Building in a beautiful country, beautiful, incredible country, but the foundation, the political system or the legal system is flawed, that country is going to break down sooner or later. So that's what token structure and tokenomics is. Or even a step further, imagine building a beautiful planet, but then not having physics in place properly. Imagine gravity is all messed up. <laughs> then we just all fly out. Like let's say one hour a day, gravity disappears. We all fly out for an hour and then, and then it comes back and then we all collapse. Like it, it, you can't imagine that. Imagine it, like, in the same examples. I remember a game that had a, a, a mistake in the code where a horse would slip and die. But the problem is when the horse slips and dies, it keeps slipping, 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 slipping nonstop. Oh, it's like a loop. Um, and then what happens is like, yeah, exactly. It starts looping and then the horse becomes useless. And the, 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 the floor was going to eventually impact all the horses. 
doesn't matter how big the community is, the game is dead. Because that's a problem unless they can fix a problem which is more complicated than, than many think. And when you get decentralized and they have, you know, you know, becomes a DAO structure, fixing a problem becomes a nightmare. Now, <laughs> once that, so that's one thing we do, token structure, tokenomics, token mechanics, whatever you want to call it. Second, we'll be building the community. When you have a community, everything else becomes easier. 1,000 true fans. I have an audience right now, you know, millions of people listening to me every week. I can literally do whatever I want and I know the support will be there. If I want to launch an NFT, if I want to launch a token, if I want to launch a new startup, if I want to launch a podcast, whatever it is, I know for a fact, like I did, you know, we started streaming on YouTube first time yesterday, brand new YouTube channel and got massive engagement because the community is there. So number two is building the community for the, for the project. And then number three is doing everything else helping with token price. We don't do market making, but we can recommend market making. And then helping the, the crypto is very convoluted. How do you get listed on exchanges? Which exchanges should you list on? Which VC should you have on your cap table? Which advisors should you avoid because they have a bad reputation? Like it's just such a tribal space, such a nascent space that not everyone would know that, hey, having Mr. X as, as an advisor is going to make you look bad and make you look cheap. You know, we had a project we were working with and they're a really, really big Web2 company. And, we, and then we came to them. We're like, hey, we're working with these guys. And these are our advisors. I'm like, guys, those advisors are known for pump and dumps. And yet your company does hundreds of millions of dollars in trading volume. And you want these people on your cap table. And um, so like, these are the, the things that we guide <laughs> projects on. Yeah, So, but many people, many projects don't know this. They're new in crypto or, or they don't have those connections. And obviously helping them with exchanges, getting listed on exchanges, on on the launch pads, et cetera, which was in the last bull run and obviously in the next bull run. Yeah, no, it, it's fantastic. like uh, the crypto shaman, uh, <laughs> you know, like the, the guru. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So before we let you go, we just have a couple more closing questions. You know, for all the people you've talked to and interacted in the space, who's someone that you admire and inspires you to keep doing what you're doing? Okay, look, not many people... Uh, inspire me, unfortunately. I never have a men never had a mentor and stuff. But I instead, I just, I just. There's a group of people, so um, I'll give I'll give two names, two names. So first one is Gorav Dubey. So Gorav Dubey, I, I live with him. He's a you guys interview him. He, he doesn't like a lot of public appearances. He does more events. You might have heard of this incubator TD Fine, and he's he's an example of what we need in the space. I remember during the hype, everyone was chasing every project that was invested in by Alameda, by Ally Ventures, Pantera, etc. Everyone would chase and want to invest any project that's listing on Qcoin or, or a Huobi or Binance, of course. Mm-hmm. Everyone would want to invest pretty quickly because that's an indicator, a signal that this project is going to do well. In the last one, and he didn't care. He had a certain thesis. He followed it you know, to the T, and he's doing extremely well right now, scaling his business. So from a business level, Gaurav Dubey is one from TD5. I highly recommend them. I live with a damn guy. Like yeah. in this house in Dubai, we have 12 bed. We have two places here in Dubai, 12 bedrooms, and we live together, my team and his team. Wow. Uh, another person would be, I'm going to give you three names. Another person would be CZ. Um, love him or hate him. The guy's an animal. Um, like he's a beast. It's in, like the decisions he makes are insane his ability to avoid formals and saying like an obvious example would be you know ftx spending money left right and center uh, crypto.com and others are like shit we should have got to do the same or we're losing market share and he's like no he didn't really need to do it but he was losing market share to ftx mm-hmm. and i was thinking in my mind you know i was probably speaking to someone who was you know he's a friend and he's uh, contemplating whether to accept the position of chairman at, at binance and 
we're talking. And I'm like, yeah, man, but my concern of Binance is they're just not, like they're losing market share to FTX. They're not doing X, Y, Z. And FTX is doing, look at what everything's doing, scaling really fast, mass market, mar- you know, doing all these marketing on, on Super Bowl and getting Matt Damon and others do ads with them and having all these influencers and Sam speaking at every event, left, right, and center, every podcast, putting his face out there and creating that image of effective altruism and CZ's behind the scenes and just not, not building that same image, didn't get really give a shit. And look where we are today. So I, I admire this guy's decisions. And then the third one would be a name no one would know is Wahid Chamas, a really good fan. He has a project called Faith Tribe. The guy is just, again, ethics and drive. Like he's, he's from the private, he's a private equity world. He runs a fund, $800 million fund, really good friend. And he came and launched a project in the, in the crypto space. He launched it, the token launched on the day Luna collapsed or a day after. And he listed on Gate, his main, his first major exchange, the day Russia invaded Ukraine, the exact day they crossed the border. So he just had bad luck after bad luck. He's been hurt uh, significantly by, obviously, the bear market. Yet he, and he doesn't need to do all this. He can just walk away from the project, has a lot of money, didn't give a fuck. Guy kept building, kept going to events, transparent as hell and doing the right thing. So he's a perfect example of what projects should be doing. Um, so yeah, that's the third person. All right. Well, we, we lost Mario right as the, the clock hit 12. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I hopefully he's not turning into a pumpkin. We'll bring him back on sometime in the future. Uh, but thanks so much for fun, listening. Though. I mean, yeah, man, it was. Like, I, I, we could have spoken to him for a few more hours. Uh, I don't know if his computer died or if he lost connection or what, but uh, Mario, we'd love to have you back on. Um, this was great. And you doing some amazing work and uh, we're, we're excited to see what the future holds for you. Um, and thanks yep. for coming follow on. Mario at IBC group on Twitter and follow us crypto one oh one pod. And we'll see you back here with another great episode in another couple days. <laughs>